Mid-market sized businesses are where the true economic action in business really is. They are nimble and agile. They're factories of growth, they lead in innovation, and they're early adopters of tech. These enterprises need the right tools, support and environment to flourish. But sadly, they're often overlooked and undervalued. Not here though. This is the Mid-Market Matters podcast, and I'm your host, Craig West. We'll explore pain points, growth strategies, and how to find the competitive edge. Welcome to SME Radio. In today's episode of Mid-Market Matters, I'm joined by Phil Preston. Phil describes himself as a business purpose guide, and it's a really interesting concept to think about, and we're going to talk about it in a lot more detail with Phil, but firstly, thanks for joining us, Phil. Yeah, great to be with you. Thanks, Craig. Mate, business purpose guide, it's a very unusual title, but it's obviously a big deal for you. What, what's that all about? Uh, well, in terms of what it means for mid-market businesses, look, it's it's important for every business, no matter what size, to understand what their purpose is, more so now than, than ever, I think, because it sets you up for enduring success, not just short-term success. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you're always focusing on what people in society really need, clearly you're going to have a much better um, a more stable business than if you're just chasing after, you know, the today's fad, um, which might that market might disappear tomorrow. So, you know, that's one aspect of it. But there's several more we'll probably unpack. Um, but I think the the other big thing, and I hear a lot of business owners talking about legacy and wanting to leave that legacy, and a lot of our conversations about legacy have been around sort of giving back after we've already made a profit. Well, I want to actually bring that forward and say, well, what you can do in your core business in your day-to-day is actually far more powerful than what you can do after you've made the dollars. So I'm going to challenge some existing ideas. And uh, maybe a third reason for why this is important is a lot of growing businesses are needing to become investment ready today. Mm -hmm. So if they're, they're growing rapidly, you know, once they get to a certain size, investors are going to start asking um, some more pointed questions and purpose is coming up as number one on the list for larger investors at the moment. So there's a couple of, I guess, key reasons why this is important. No, fantastic. And, mate, I, I did a bit of, fair bit of work actually with Mark Boris for a while. He is absolutely passionate about business purpose. And he tells a great – I don't know if you've ever heard it, but he tells a great story of when he, he was his business was partly acquired by Kerry Packer. And uh, he, he was in the business of home loans, obviously. And uh, he tells this great story. It's very funny, which I can't do because I wasn't there, obviously. But he tells a great story about Packer asking him about what business are you in and what right. for. And Mark yes. says, is this guy a bloody idiot? I'm in the business of home loans. you know. Yeah. And, of course, Kerry Packer, before he could answer, says, and don't say bloody home loans, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark spent then the whole, you know, the whole thing was, Packer was saying to him, you're in the business of creating business families' dreams, which was the purpose. And, of course, when you frame it up like that, it's a very different conversation to you're in the business of writing home loans. Mark tells that story a lot better than I do. It's very well. I'll have to try and hear him say it one day, but you, you did it pretty well, Craig. It's a, it's a really good story, and, and it's certainly something he's passionate about, as, as are you. Mate, before we get into the real detail, because there's a lot of things we can talk about here, tell us about how you got to this What's your background? You know, sort of. What did? You, how did you get to this place? Yeah, well, I guess I've been running my own business now, which is really just me for the last thirteen years. But before all that, I was in a very different environment. So, I uh, I grew up in Tassie and did my university there, and then got a job in Sydney, and quickly moved into the investment um, industry, and that was great. By you know, seventeen years later, I was working. Um, I was heading up a team responsible for assessing and monitoring fifty billion dollars of global 
investment exposures that our firm had, which was which was great, it was exciting, and um, it was well paid until it came to a point where I did that classic midlife crisis thing of stepping back and asking that dreaded question, the one word question called why, you know, what am I doing here? Um, yep. Is this what I want to do for the rest of my working life? And coupled with the fact that I was really frustrated by poor corporate behaviours and also, you know, wanting to take companies beyond doing quite token or symbolic acts of charity towards really making a difference. And and I knew, I guess, to do that, and I, this probably resonate with what you've just said as well, you've got to connect what companies are doing to their bottom line to actually get them to really get enthusiastic about change. So so that's that's the key to it all. Mm, it's very interesting because, I mean, it, I, I see here you've written a book, Connecting Profit with Purpose, and, I mean, that's the sort of thing you're talking about, isn't it? That's Improving right. performance because you've actually got a purpose underlying what's going on. You're not just turning up nine to five. That's right. So there's, there's three layers. You know, we can do philanthropic stuff, and I'm not saying don't do philanthropic stuff because there's lots of organisations that need our funding out there. Lots of chari- charities and not-for-profits. Um, but then there's a, a second layer which sort of falls under the responsible business agenda. And a lot of businesses, you know, for example, when a well-known brand of nappies um, sponsors a, a children's hospital foundation, that's, you know, that's great, but that's really about brand and reputation. And yep. I, don't, I don't think we're going to change the world through brand and reputation. So what I'm pushing is that next level up to say, okay, well, what is it in your business? You know, there's social and environmental challenges out there that are potentially costing you money or they're imposing costs on your business, or there's a whole whole group of them that are presenting opportunities for you in terms of new products and markets. So let's be focused on both those things because you'll make difference um, at a far greater scale through those types of strategies than the other two. Have you got some examples? Have you got a couple of examples you can talk through of where you've seen this work particularly well to illustrate the point? Yeah, certainly. So I'll, I'll give you um, I'll give you three very quick examples of different mm-hmm. size firms because I don't want to make this a, a big corporate or a, or a micro business discussion. But but for for I guess a well known brand name, um, the, the Mars Pet Care business, um, they clarified that's a global um, mm-hmm. traditionally sort of more like pet food business. They clarified their world, uh, their purpose as creating a better world for pets. And by doing that, that led them into providing services. So they expanded into veterinary services rather than just mm, traditionally just products. Yeah. So that, that's like a big company example, I think, where it's been powerful. Um, for a very small uh, business example, there's a, a lawyer in Brisbane who is in, um, I guess, family law and dealing with divorces quite a lot. And she realised she was turning away six out of ten people who approached her because they wouldn't be able to afford the legal fees. And it's not just her, the whole industry, it's quite expensive. Most um, couples, especially when there's kids involved, will go through complex um, situations and it will cost on average $100,000 in legal fees to go through that process, which is a big chunk out of the estate um, for, Mm. for both people involved. So. She thought, oh, hang on, maybe there's a business opportunity here, and she's created an online system. Um, now, it won't work for everyone, but for people who can go through a fairly amicable process, they can do it all online. They come out at the other end with an enforceable legal agreement. They can both sign, and the cost, it's less than $1,000. Yeah, big difference. Yeah, so she's wow. addressing a social issue there, which is the cost mm-hmm. of that service, getting a better quality outcome by preserving wealth in the family. And for her, she's creating a business, and because it's online, it's quite scalable. So for her, it's a, it's a high-growth product. So I love finding those those win-wins. 
Um, mm. And maybe just to round it off with a final example, because this is a, a agricultural sure. far, farming example. Um, in uh, in Young in New South Wales, a pig farming operation was paying high prices for pig feed because they were buying grain and grain was going through the roof. So they ramped up their partnerships with local food manufacturers to get the sort of end of line um, sort of wastage. Now, this green waste would have cost the food manufacturers about $300 a tonne to take to landfill. But but for $75 a tonne, much cheaper, they could transport it to this pig farm. Um, Basically, the the pig farm was getting for next to nothing. the, the farm, the um, food manufacturer is saving money and the pigs were happy because they were getting off cuts of pasta runs and ice cream runs and all sorts of things. So <laughs> um, they they significantly lowered their food cost, which was one of the, the top, um, I think it was the second largest cost of, in running their business. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, as you see, when you get to that strategic level, I think you can make a, a far bigger impact than sometimes you can through what we, we tend to think of good things for businesses to do. Yeah, okay. So you've given us some quite varied examples there, a couple of very different sort of examples in different industries and different segments, different size businesses as well. What are some of the transformations, you know, what what do we think about when we're trying to work out how do we do this? Where do we go? Yeah, well, I suppose the first thing is is around a mindset of understanding we're in a very not independent world but an interdependent world. So, you know, if we go back 100 years, we were still setting sail around the globe and, and finding new things, new resources, new lands. Well, that's no longer the case. And we've got, um, instead of 2 billion people on the planet, we've got now 8 billion. So mm. we're in a, in a very crowded and connected place. So the backdrop for doing business has changed a lot in, in a short space of time. And what this means is, um, and there's been a lot of talk about it in terms of some big company moves, and a lot of people are dismissing it as just fancy talk, but but, but it's real because a lot of, um, for example, multinational companies are seeing that there's limits to their growth of their business. They're, they're seeing that, look, we just can't grow indefinitely by ignoring the, the stakeholders to our business. We've got to help look after them. If we're going to grow, we've got to grow together. So there's the mindset piece. And what it really comes down to is understanding your business instead of as an activity, thinking about it as an outcome. So in, in the case I gave earlier of, of mm-hmm. Mars, you know, they, don't, they didn't cast their business, their pet care business as um, creating pet food, which, which is an activity. They saw it as a better world for pets, which signifies an outcome. Yeah. Um, yep. Yes. So the idea is instead of do an activity, make money, then give something back, you actually tap into what's the improvement you're making. And if you can do that, um, then you sort of create a reinforcing stream. If that drives your profitability, you keep investing in that thing and, and it becomes a like a reinforcing flow. Yeah, okay. Is there a generic simple model or recipe or is it a bit more complicated than that? Um, it's one of those uh, yes and no answers. Um, the principles, I think, are pretty straightforward, but, but I find every business is quite different. So every business has, sure. has a, you know, a different ownership structure. Um, it's been around for a different length of time it has a different culture within its people and so on um, so you've just got to get clear on on firstly you know get that mindset shift and then drive it down throughout your organization and uh, it's very much around just sort of reviewing where you're at and then I guess making the change and putting a plan in place for going forward and and I think the the other important thing is it doesn't you know large firms will pay 
uh, fleets of consultants, millions of dollars okay. to do this. It, it, do, it doesn't need to be that at all. I, I would typically work with, with businesses, do one, two or three sessions, and then, you know, maybe there's some touch base, you know, along the way. But it, I think the 80-20 rule means you can do this stuff pretty efficiently. It doesn't need some humongous exercise. Yeah, and I guess if your purpose is that complicated and that difficult to work out, there's an underlying problem anyway. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and it's also the perfect tool for engaging your people, you know, assuming you're maybe in a business with several employees. It's a great way to engage your people in a review. Um, you know, they won't have the final word. You know, you've management yeah. or the owners or the board, whatever your structure is, needs to have um, responsibility and accountability for this. But it's a great way to actually get people involved in your business. And, and that's great for cultural change and, and productivity, ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So we're, we're aiming to get to, a, I guess, what you call a purpose statement. Yes. How do we craft that? You know, what does a typical pur- purpose statement need to cover or what does it need to look like? Maybe you've got some examples. You've already given us a couple, but how yeah. do we get to that? Well, I'll, I'll give you my, my favourite example um, because mm-hmm. I did an analysis of the top 50 companies in Australia and I took apart the statements and therefore figured there was five key factors that you've got to look at when you bring it uh, when you do your review. Uh, before I give you the five factors, I, my favourite is from um, Cochlear, who say we help people hear and be heard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And, what, and what I love about that is you know you can just imagine that doesn't really limit them to bionic hearing devices, right? No. It, it could lead them into many different services and value adds, which I'm sure they're already doing uh, as well. But um, you know, I love that type of thinking because, again, it conveys an outcome, not an activity. So I think mm. the, the, the five things people should be thinking about if, if you're listening to this and want to review your own purpose is, number one, make sure it, it, con- it conveys a benefit to customers and or society. Um, number two is to get the scope right. I, I think some firms go very high level and, you know, have some statements like, um, we make your life enjoyable. and yeah. And, you know, literally, you could you could slap that onto any you could do anything. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So that's too broad. But on the other hand, you can't be too specific either. So getting that scoping right is important. And mm-hmm. I recently worked with a client who was uh, it actually challenged them in the process to really at a board level talk about what is their scope and and start having some meaningful conversations about that rather than just sort of seeing how it goes. So that was great. Mm. Um, number three, you want to make it reasonably snappy if you can. Now, I don't think we can all be a cochlear and, and come up with that super tight statement, but yeah. you know, you want it to be something that people can easily understand and communicate on. That's number three. Um, number four, the the audience, I believe, for purpose statements is more around your workers and employees um, than it is for your customers. So it needs to be something that will inspire your people. Um, if you want proof of this, go to a book called Tribal Leadership, where they found that high-performing teams um, or, or the best teams are actually focused on delivering a what they call a noble cause or a or some sort of societal outcome, rather than mm-hmm. just you know making donuts. Um, so that helps to inspire your people. And factor number five is make sure it's something that you think will be enduring. Now, in in the pace of change today, you you know. Businesses may change their purpose statement every couple of years or, or, uh, or more regularly, but, you know, ideally go into this thinking this is something we, we think will, will be set for the next five, ten, hopefully more um, years rather than just last for six months. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's a, that's, that's a really good guide. So you could basically walk through that and sort of 
firstly review if you've got a purpose statement now review it yes does it convey the benefit has it you know is the scope ridiculously broad or too narrow is it snappy and easy to understand does it inspire my staff and straight away you're going okay i'm in trouble here <laughs> <laughs> i haven't ticked any of those four what i to do okay so if you go and have a look at that i mean you know let's let's assume we're brilliant and we've got the, you know the cochlear uh, purpose statement yeah what do we do then put that up in the lunchroom we put it on our website job Ooh. done that's right. When I was in the corporate world, that what that was job done, and we just all went back to doing things as we'd always done them, and we ignored it for another twelve months. So yep. you, you don't have that luxury now. This is becoming a real driver of, of success for businesses, and it was it's what differentiates the high performers from the the low performers. So what you have to do then is embed it in your business, and there's a few steps there, but I would say the most important one is to make sure everyone in your business understands what it means for them and their role. So track it through. Look, if you've got performance reviews and KPIs set for them, track it all the way through to make sure those things that are important um, in terms of your purpose are reflected in their in their own, um, I guess, evaluation processes. And they and they buy in because they understand what it means. Um, there's a few other things yeah. to think about, but I think that's the most important because quite often, yeah, as you say. Uh, you do these things at a high level, then everyone forgets about it. Or so many organisations just don't follow through and drive it down and they lose all the benefits. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So I'm interested just to ask you, it's a bit off the cuff, but, you know, you've got a purpose statement. I walk into business. I, I see a lot of businesses in every year. I probably visit a couple of hundred. And, you know, in the, the boardroom, they might have up a values, you know, their values or their mission statement. You've got a purpose statement. Yes. You've got their values up. How do they interrelate? I mean, you, you, you've got a whole stack of different... How yeah. many can you have type of thing? Yeah, how many can you, you have? Go, which one am I following here? Oh, look, everyone has their own view of this. I've In the research I've done, I've, I've found the best structure. I tend to avoid mission statements. I, I find yeah. they're often confused with sometimes they look like purpose statements and sometimes not, so I leave them out. Um, the, the best place to start um, is often purpose, but also think um, vision is the thing, is the high-level piece. So, Vision is sort of the world you want to create if, if you're supremely successful. It's, it's like right. picturing something that's maybe 5, 10, even 50 years off. You know, we want a world where everyone can afford to buy a house sort of, sort of type type thing. Yep. Um, and then your the purpose is your role in helping that vision come about. So so yep. what, is your, what is your business doing to help produce that? And then you mentioned values. I think they're the other key plank here, the, the third uh, level is having a good conversation about well, what do we really value and, and come up with somewhere between four and eight. I think five is a nice number. But but what's really um, – what are we enthused about embedding in our DNA and what, what differentiates us and how we want to work from everyone else? And the important thing about values is you, you cannot compromise on values. If people are not displaying those four or five or six core values you identify – then you've got to jump on it straight away. You can't let it yeah. fester, otherwise you start to lose lose everything. Yeah, it's interesting because it's sort of a, a it works in both directions. You know, you've got your vision down to a purpose, and then the values that underlie that. But it also works the other way, going backwards. Because if you're not holding up your values, you're not going to get your purpose, and therefore the vision will never get created. That's right. It's yeah, a great model. They great all model. connect. Yes. So, mate, I'm interested to find out where, where do we start. Let's assume I haven't done any of this work in a business. Where do we start? Apart from contacting you, which I'll get your contact <laughs> details in a moment, but where do we start? What are some of the things, the things people should be reading, having a look at? Yeah. Okay. So I'd say three things to think about is one, just 
um, start reading more. If you're not already convinced, just just try and get your head around this idea that purpose is not a nice to have anymore. It's a must have because if you're yeah. not doing it, your competitors are, and they'll be finding a lot of opportunities that you're not by having it. That's number one. Number two is that it's it's about focusing on outcomes, not activities, which we've sort of been through. So we've traditionally yeah. talked about activities, but let's move to an outcome um, basis. And thirdly, it is about growing your bottom line in a way that, that imparts positive change on the people and customers and community around you. So it's it's a fantastic way to really ramp up your legacy. Now, you can have a legacy through something that's on the side, but for many of us, our, our business is our life as well. So if you can combine your legacy and how you really make a difference mm. in your day-to-day business, I reckon that's a fantastic um, win on, on two fronts. Personal front, you, you're happy, and in terms of the difference you can make, um, you know, be much larger scale than what you might do otherwise. Yeah, very powerful. Yeah. Mate, I'm going to ask you uh, your number one tip for mid-market business owners to be successful. What would you say the number one thing to do is? Okay, well, I've partly said this, but I'll, I'll reinforce it. Be open to purpose as, as a driver of your bottom line. And to follow that, I would say start formalising it. Don't just assume people are going to understand this or want to do it. You've got to start formalising it within your business. Fantastic. Uh, Phil, how do people get in touch with you? What do you contact yes, yourself? I'm, uh, my website's philpreston.com.au and you can get me at phil at philpreston.com.au. That's Phil with one L. Um, and, yes, I think you, you did mention the book earlier. It's Connecting, yeah, Profit, with, Connecting Profit with Purpose. You can get it uh, if you're in Australia, definitely get it from my website. If you're overseas, you can also get it. Or anyone can get it from the Amazons and book depositories and all the other uh, main players as well. Fantastic. Mate, thank you for joining us. That's been really interesting. I love the model of outcome versus activity. I think people get so caught up with to-do lists and action items and 90-day plans and activity, activity, activity. What's the outcome? Absolutely brilliant. Thank you for joining us, Phil. Great. Thanks for having me on, Greg. Thanks for listening to Mid-Market Matters. I hope you found this episode helpful and informative for your business. To find out more, go to midmarketmatters.com.au and to download other episodes, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.